Thanks for reading that, James. Good evening, everyone. My, my name's Ming. Uh, I'm one of the student ministers here at Uni Church. So being a student minister has been really great the last few months. Um, I get to, I'm studying full-time at a theological college out in Australia, and I get to serve you guys part-time on a Sunday and a little bit throughout the week. Um, as we finish off this three-week series, we finish it, up with, finish it off with God's good plan for work, gratifying work. Um, and we're going to have a special panel at the end of the service, so it's not just me answering questions anymore, but we're going to have a few people here, um, so you can text in your questions, um, and so please encourage you to take, make the most of it. Um, and if you're looking for some good books on work, um, I recommend this book, it's at the bookstore, it's called Revolutionary Work, pretty cool title. Ten bucks at the bookstore, if that's interesting to you, it's good stuff. Um, but an even better book uh, is the Bible, so. <laughs> uh, so why don't we pray and ask God for help in um, understanding this topic, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come together this evening to look at your word and see what it has to say about work. Um, we pray that you help us to see this area of, of our life through your lens um, and really do help us to trust that your word is good, that what you say is good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is your attitude to work? For some of us, it's, it's just neutral. Uh, you get on with it, uh, you don't think about it too much. It's a job. It pays the bills. You don't love it, you don't hate it. It just is what it is. But for others of us, it's negative. You're regretting that you even came today because, because you hate work. You, you forgot the sermon was about work and you're thinking, it's Sunday, what are we doing talking about work? I want my weekends to be as work-free as possible. And for others, you're thinking, awesome. I love work. Kind of wish I was at work right now. <laughs> You're the first in and last to leave, and it's always in your mind. You might see your job as your identity. It defines who you are. Trust me, growing up in an old-school Asian family, I get that. Growing up, my family's idea of a holiday was us going into my dad's office. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I really mean that. We can talk about it later. Now, you might be here thinking today, oh, I'm, I'm just a student, or I'm sick, I'm unemployed, this message must not be for me. No, this talk is for you as well. If you're unemployed, then looking for work is your work. If you're sick, then getting better is your job. And if you're a student, then your study is your work. There's volunteer work, there's domestic work, washing up, doing the dishes. God has something to say about that too mowing the lawns, throwing out the trash, there's relational work, parenting, grandparenting, maybe you're an older sibling. Right now, we're all sitting in a room full of different views and attitudes towards work, and we spend so much of our life doing it, don't we? So it's important we get this right. How are we meant to think about work? But an even more important question to ask is how does the Creator think about work? What does God think about work? because he's the one who made it. Now, just a small caveat before diving in. God's word, the Bible, has a lot to say about work. And, and this makes sense, considering how much of our time is spent working. Lots of big picture stuff and, and lots of detail. So here's the thing. We're all in very different circumstances. It might be our age. It might be our job situation. It might even be our upbringing. Whatever it is, the thing about preaching, kind of like this, uh, it's it's kind of like trying to fill all these glasses of water from a really great height. And when you do that, water's going to splash here and there, uh, and sometimes it'll miss. And when you try to, but it's the personal conversations that you're going to have with one another about the principles we hear this tonight uh, that are crucial. Only when we have these personal conversations is when our glasses of water are going to be lifted up and poured into individually. So I want to encourage you all to keep talking about what God has to say about work and how that applies to your personal situation. Even if you text in a question today, keep talking to each other. So, the first thing we see when we open up the Bible is that work is good. The first time we hear of work is actually in the opening passages of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. God is the primary worker here. He's busy with the creation of the world. All the stuff we see in that creation account in the first chapter of Genesis, is described by one word, and one word in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. It should be on the screen. On the seventh day, God had completed 
his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. All that God does is described as work. Work is good because God himself is a worker. Ancient religions, especially Greek ones, never associated work with God. They all thought God created man to do all the work because they didn't want to do it themselves. But when you actually stop and open up the Bible, the reality is the truth about God is that he's all about work. Work is the very means by which God reveals himself. Have a look with me. This is just one example. Psalm chapter 95, Psalm 95 verse four, uh, verses 4 to 5. The depths of the earth are in his hand, speaking about God here, and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. We might be tempted to think that, that God's only into you know, manager-type work, telling people what to do, giving orders, but it's not like that at all. God is described as a blue-collar worker. God works with his hands. He gets down and dirty. He's right in the thick of it. And as God works, he takes what is nothing and turns it into something. He turns chaos into order. He transforms darkness into light, and he moves from things into animals into people, and he calls all of that good. Good, good, very good. And work isn't just good for God. It's good for us, too, because we were made in his image. All of humanity, all of us, bear the image of God, who is a worker. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. And our job description is here too. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Care for it. We get to participate in carrying on God's good work as rulers of this world under God, caring for it, managing it. You might think that work is a bad thing, that it sucks, but you must understand, God doesn't see it that way. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, when God made humanity, he took the man and placed him in the garden to work it and take care of it. When you think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, in paradise, what did you think? A hammock on the beach, sipping a coconut, watching the sunrise and sunset each day, making a few babies, you know? Well, I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's part of it. Contrary to popular belief, God made paradise to be paradise with work in it. Work is good. We are created to work, created to do. And there's a sense where we kind of get this, don't we? When you want to work but you can't, you get frustrated. It might be due to being sick or, or unemployment. It can get really depressing. Take my mum, for example. She's now paralyzed on the left side of her body. She can't work anymore. She's not, she's not old, she's just paralyzed. But every time I go see her, she's talking about getting better. Not because she wants to go on and do more traveling or do more shopping. She wants to get better, and she always says this, I want to get better so that I can go back to work. Of course, in my mum's case, there's probably something a little Asian about that. <laughs> but I think you get the point that I'm trying to make here. There's something right about wanting to do stuff, wanting to work. Because at the core of being human... The way God made us is the call to work. And a part of that is, is because the work we do reflects something about ourselves, reflects something about who we are. And just as God reveals a lot about himself through his work, so too does our work reveal a lot about who we are. God works, God's work is good, and God's work is the means by which we find out about what God is like. Passages like Romans chapter 1 or, or many of the Psalms tell us about who God is, through his work. Take Psalm 19, for example. It should be on the screen. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Have you ever wondered why you, you oft, we often ask the question when we're meeting someone new, what do you do? What's your job? What do you study? Usually it's because we can know a lot about someone through their work. But, but I want to be clear here, and we've got to get this right, our work is not us, just like how God's work is not God. Instead, it's good work that reflects the God that created it. Let's, let's really get this right. Good work 
ultimately reflects the God that created it. See, if you're a cleaner or you're cleaning, whether you're cleaning the house or you're cleaning commercially, you're reflecting the fact that God creates order out of chaos. If you're a car mechanic or you oversee the health and safety at work, you reflect God's protection over his image bearers. If you're a policeman or a lawyer, you reflect God's desire to bring justice on this earth. Maybe you work as a chef. Maybe you cook for the family. You might even work at Macca's. You reflect that God is the provider of food. Perhaps you're a doctor or a nurse or, or a med student. You reflect the fact that God is the healer, the restorer of life. Maybe you, you'll be a parent one day. Maybe you are a parent right now. You reflect that God looks over and loves his children. Whether the work you are doing is paid or unpaid, the challenge for us is to see where does my work reflect God's purpose and character. When we do that, we start to see how our life, our work, our jobs become full of meaning as we reflect the good God who created work. But the thing that makes God's work so good is that it's ultimately driven by love. Good work is loving work. On the screen are just some of the many verses that reflect this. Psalm 138, verse 8. Lord, your faithful love endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. Or in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Your work produced by faith. Your labor motivated by love. Or in Hebrews chapter 10. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. To God, work and love always go hand in hand. The very act of work, not simply how we conduct work, but work itself is an expression of love. And when we work, we're, we're loving our boss, we're loving our clients or customers, we're loving our co-workers, we're loving our family. Not just in the way we conduct ourselves, but the very fact that we're working. If your work is not loving, it's not good. If you can't see how your work is loving to someone else, then it's not good work. Hope we get that. You, you can't be a hitman and, and reflect God's character. Now, I get that this might be easier to understand in, in what, what we might call people professions, like being a nurse or a dentist or a doctor, maybe even a teacher. But our work being an expression of love is no less true for the garbage collector who's keeping society free from disease. Or the builder who's, who's loving people by building shelters and, and where people can live in or, or do work from. Maybe you're an IT worker or a student, IT student. Uh, you're loving others by enabling them to work more effectively. If you're a shop attendant, you're loving people by providing them with goods or services. As you approach your work, I really want to encourage us to approach it relationally. Think about who you're loving. While some jobs may have different pay grades, looked at differently to society, God's view of work is so freeing, so freeing. All loving work is good, very good. It doesn't matter how much you get paid for it or if you get paid for it at all. And I get that the world, I get this, the world might have a hierarchy of, you know, doctor, CEO, lawyer, principal, all the way down to whoever they want to put down at the bottom and measure in terms of social standing or pay grade. But as far as God is concerned, every loving act of work is honoring to Him. God has no pay grade difference. Work is ultimately an expression of love, and it's love that drives us to actually want to work hard, drives us to want to produce things that are helpful, good, safe. The moment we start to think that that, that being an engineer or, or a dentist or an architect or whatever is somehow more superior, we are not only behaving, behaving incredibly unchristian, but we start to fall into this trap where, where we think we can only fulfill our potential if we have a particular career. Everything else starts to become beneath us. It's not only ugly, but it's incredibly pagan. It's, it's anti-God. Good work is loving work, and it reflects whose image we bear. God himself. But there's a grim reality to work, isn't there? See, work isn't always good. 
I don't know if you know this, but while I was studying, I, I worked at Farmers for seven years out in Manukau City. Farmers, the clothing store. And one of the grimmest experiences I had at work was the discovery that a customer had used the changing room to do a number two. <laughs> and I was entrusted to clean it up. Maybe that's just South Auckland, but... <laughs> I love South Auckland. I you know, worked there for seven years. I loved it. Sometimes, or very often, work sucks, doesn't it? So given that work is so good, why is it so hard? How is it possible that by the time we get to Monday morning, we're already thinking about Friday afternoon? And the reason for that is work is grim because work is broken. See, in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, we read it earlier, Adam and Eve decide to disobey God and decide to sin. They didn't trust that God was good, and they don't live his way, and that has consequences. Consequences for their relationship with God and consequences for our world and our work. So come with me to, chapter, to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 8, 19 again. Let's read it together. And he said to the man, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the, pl- and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. So this is a pretty grim picture, isn't it? Work becomes hard to do, work is now painful and frustrating, but notice here that that it's the ground that's cursed, not work itself. Work still remains a gift from God, in case you're wondering, but it's now in a world that's broken, a world that's, that's become hard to love. Thinking about this kind of reminded me of my old flat. One of my flatmates spent many hours on his weekend working on the small three-by-three grass square patch of land that we had. And he managed, he by himself managed to turn it into this. But after only four weeks of neglect, our square patch of land turned back into this. What a transformation. You know, we thought we tamed this, the beast, but it wasn't meant to be. So from what I know, my old flatmate's kind of given up on this square patch for now, but I'm sure he'll conquer it one day. And work is not just physically hard, it's emotionally exhausting too. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 22. For what does a person get with all his work and all his effort that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night, his mind doesn't rest. This too is futile. Isn't the Bible realistic? How many of us have had that moment where, where we couldn't sleep because, because something was on our mind? You know, you might have even had a dream because something was stressing you out coming up. Because of sin, work really has become grim. We now live in a world where it can be hard to love people, and as a result, hard to do work. We don't trust people. In Genesis, Adam points the finger at Eve, and Eve points the finger at the serpent. This mistrust has also entered into our workplace, and we start to question the motives of our co-workers, the motives of other companies, the motives of our own company, even the motives of our friends. Because work has become hard, laziness and being idle have become big problems. The Bible has tons to say about laziness, especially the Proverbs, so you can check them out later. But not just laziness, the problem of work introduces greed. Let's try to, because work is so hard, people start to try to take shortcuts, bosses start mistreating their staff. James chapter 5 puts it nicely. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Sin has really messed things up. And this doesn't even cover the bullying that might happen at work, the sexual abuse, racial abuse, psychological abuse, co-workers you just can't seem to get along with. They might be, you know, passive-aggressive. They might be lazy or do things the wrong way. You might get told to do something unethical or illegal. We get frustrated at one another. We even get frustrated at ourselves. We have a bad day at work and it spills over into the family. Even finding work has become hard. 
The fact that work feels frustrating at times is simply the fact that humanity has rejected God's good order of creation. Things are all mangled up now. We think we know what's best, we think we know better than God, and that has consequences. See, even if, even if we have the best job possible, and you love your work, I'm sure there's some of us who will end up like that. The reality is, at the end of the day, we're all going to die, and our work on this earth is going to come to nothing. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 18. I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. He will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. No matter how hard you've worked, no matter what you've built or constructed, no matter what you've achieved, at some point we're all going to die and it's going to be handed over to someone. And we don't know if that someone or if the person that someone else passes it on to is going to be wise or a fool. Let me try something. Put your hand up if you know your parents' name. Okay, that's good. That's most of us. <laughs> and keep your hand up if you know your grandparents' name. What about your great-great-grandparents' name? Great-great-great-grandparents' name. Well, whoa, someone's hand's still up. <laughs> it's impressive. If all it takes is four or five generations... And if even we don't know their name, how can we expect any, anyone to know them, let alone know what they've done? The sad reality is, sooner or later, whether it's our kids or our grandkids, our labor or the fruit of our labor will be forgotten or passed on to someone that will waste it. Waste it. This really makes us think, what's the point? I mean, is there even a point? There is a point. And that point comes if you have a relationship with God and work lasts forever. So let me show you. This is the next point in your outlines if you're using that, the glorious. To truly have meaningful work, it needs to not end with death. And the only way, the only way to make death not the end is by coming to the one who has conquered death. Often people try to bring about meaningful work by means of glorifying their name, having their name etched in history, making a difference in the world, entrusting, into the, entrusting their work to someone that won't waste it. Things like this show us that we were all built for work that lasts, work that has meaning, work that will make a difference. No one wants to work for things that make no difference. That doesn't matter in the end. The classic example of this I see is, is when I see sports teams playing a match. And when they realize that there's no chance of winning anymore, they start to not bother trying anymore. The crowd starts to leave, or the fans. They know that no matter how hard they try, it's not going to make a difference. Deep down, we all have a desire for meaningful work, and that comes from a desire for eternity, where death isn't the end. But here's the thing. The, there is only one job. There's only one job that truly solves the big problem of sin and death in this world. One job that generally brings about eternity. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, check it out. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God enters into the fallen world as Jesus, and Jesus came into this world to serve, to work at a job. On Jesus' CV wrote, sinless Son of God, anything less wasn't good enough for this job. And his work description was straightforward as, not, not easy, but plain and simple. Jesus, he had to suffer, he had to die, and he had to rise again. One job and one job only, to take away the sins of the world. And it was a job that he did so well that it never needed to be done again. And as a result of that job, the fruit of Jesus' labor was a debt being paid. A debt we all owed. Now if you're here today, and you haven't already accepted the gift that Jesus is offering, haven't already put your trust that Jesus is enough, you owe a debt that's way out of your pay grade. There's nothing else in this world that will bring true meaning and solve the problem of death. Many of us spend our lives working, our time, energy, and money essentially building up a kingdom. It might be through having a large family, having lots of kids and looking after them. It could be through amassing heaps of financial wealth and saving heaps. Maybe it's through big building projects, big empires, big investments. But when we finally step back, just to stop and step back, 
and look at all that we've done at the end of our life and have a look at the kingdom that we've been working for. Only when we actually do that do we realize that we've simply been building sandcastles, castles that will be washed away with the next hut of life. Some of us see that sooner than others. And the thing about sandcastles is that from dust they came and to dust they will return. But God calls us to work for another kingdom, to stop working for a kingdom that will simply wash away, but to join him in him building his kingdom, one that will last. God calls us to trust him and trust that he is good. And this moves us into our last point, our calling, quotations. It's in quotes because in the modern world today, we often hear quotes like, follow your dreams and passions. Only then will you fulfill your potential. The world is your oyster. Reach for the stars. Steve Jobs, the CEO of Apple, urged graduates that they must find what they love. They must find it. And for Christians, we actually have a version of this as well. We use the language of having some special vocation or, or unique calling. But what do these people say to the single mom who cannot escape the poverty trap she's in? Doesn't she have dreams and passions? What do these people say to the person who needs to work five jobs to feed the family and pay the bills? Is, is that their calling? Isn't that interesting that we never hear this language used to encourage people to be postmen, garbage collectors, bus drivers, janitors, jobs that are not only good and loving, but jobs that are necessary, should be highly valued. See, there are at least 51 uses of the word calling in the New Testament. 46 of them, 46, are used to speak about becoming a Christian, to come to God and trust Him. Four of them are used to speak about living a holy life, living in peace. And in just one case, is it used to speak about the current situation we're in. But the funny thing is, is that ironically, when we read this passage in context, it's actually urging people not to worry about the situation they're in. Don't worry about it. But instead, worry about conducting themselves Christianly in that situation. God's only calling for us is to trust in Jesus, to turn from our own ways and trust that God's way is good. That's our calling. And if you aren't a Christian... That's what God is calling you to as well. God is far more concerned with who we live for than with what job we're doing. Our calling is to live for God and glorify Him. This means reflecting God's character in whatever work we're doing. We can all essentially break down work, our jobs into one of three categories. All work can be broke, all good work can be broken down into one of three categories. First one is creative work, work you would have expected before sin entered into this world. It's, it's great work. This would have been stuff like gardening, farming, teaching, cooking, building, parenting, R&D, you know, PhDs, <laughs> music, tourism, all that stuff. All these jobs are consistent with work Adam and Eve would have done before they decided to turn away from God. But then there's the second category of jobs. Jobs that come as a result of sin, post-fall work. And there's heaps of them. We're thinking of stuff like doctors, lawyers, police, soldiers, mental health, security guards, bouncers, physios, dentists. The list could go on for ages. All these jobs are about pushing back the effects of sin. These jobs mend broken bodies, fractured minds, damaged relationships, holding back evil. Jobs you wouldn't have expected before sin entered into the world, and jobs you won't expect in heaven. And we don't all get to do creative work or post-fall work. We might do one full-time, we might mix and match a few part-time. Some might even be our hobbies. But this last category of work is work that we are all called to do. The third category is kingdom work. Work that sees people enter into the kingdom of God. Seeing people move from death into life. And I don't just mean curing a fatal disease like cancer or being a surf guard. It means telling people about the debt that has been paid by Jesus Christ. Many Christians make the mistake that this type of work, this third category, is simply reserved for pastors, missionaries, evangelists, apostles, people with a special calling to this. And while there are some who are freed up full-time to be able to do this kind of work all the time, the Bible calls all of us, all of us, 
priests through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his position, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See that? All of us are chosen to proclaim the praises of God. Kingdom work. We're called to love the world around us by doing good work. All three categories. Good work is loving. But ultimately, truly loving work is spending our time and energy seeing people enter into eternity. Now, I don't want to over-spiritualize this. We should be careful not to. But when we decide to trust in Jesus, we now have a new boss. It's God. And our new boss has gospel-centered priorities, priorities that reflect truly loving work, work that sees people enter into eternity. My mom is paralyzed because of a stroke, so that's why she can't work anymore. And a few months leading up to her stroke, she was having fairly regular headaches. So because of the headaches, she just took Panadol, painkillers to tide the pain, instead of going to see a doctor. Now, there's nothing wrong with painkillers. They're good things. I'm sure any doctor would have lovingly given them to my mom as well. But painkillers only solved the immediate problem. A loving doctor would have also given her blood pressure meds and told her to rest. What my mom truly needed was to deal with the high, pressure, uh, high blood pressure, not simply painkillers. There's no reason she couldn't have had both. She just didn't know what she truly needed. The same idea applies to the work we do on earth. Our work doesn't just end with making people feel good, feel loved through the jobs that we do. Our work ends when people actually are loved, loved by God, and are good. Their death is not their end. This doesn't mean that everyone needs to be a pastor or a preacher or a missionary. If that happened, society wouldn't run. This doesn't mean we should give up our day jobs, but it's important for us to grasp this idea, this idea that the fact is we're all missionaries, all of us. We're all called to point people to Christ as our primary focus. Just as pointing people to Christ is God's primary focus. So I want us to ask ourselves, ask yourself, use, ask God, use me and my work for your kingdom. And not just our work, but the fruit of our work too, the money we earn. Us being generous not only reflects the God who generously gave us his son, but the fruit of our work helps us to love others, care for our family, but also to invest in kingdom work could look like partnering with a missionary or, or giving to your local church. But remember this, when it comes to giving, God calls us to give from the fruit of our work, not to earn his favor, that debt has already been paid. But the fruit of our work is simply one of the many ways, just one of the many ways that we get to participate in kingdom work. Last week, we talked about green living. And we were challenged that we can live both sustainably while having gospel priorities. This week, this week our challenge is to express gospel priorities in all of our work, everything we do. Now, there's just heaps to talk about on this work topic. You know, there's rest, there's hobbies, there's leisures. How do we rest well? For those of us struggling to rest, uh, please remember that while God is always working, we're not God. If we're not finding rest, we're not trusting in God. You know, there's unemployment, there's job selection, especially when you have heaps of good options. There's toxic work environments, unethical work. What do we do there? There's a whole lot to talk about. So please keep talking with each other about the principles we learned today. That's where your glass is going to be lifted up and poured into personally. But the thing we need to see today is that although work is hard, it really is, all good work is loving and truly loving work is pointing people to Christ in word and in action. Let's pray that we do that. Father in heaven, we see how good you are through the goodness of your work, through your creation and through the, all that you're doing. We know you're always working, always fighting for us. So please help us now. Help us to approach our work relationally, to see how, how we're loving others through our work and how our labor might ultimately see people come to know your son, Jesus Christ. We live in a world that 
They can be so hard to love. So please give us the strength to love like you do in every situation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, panel time, and we've got some uh, long-time workers who will share some great wisdom as well. Well, thanks, thanks Ming. Works in a second. There we go. Amazing. Uh, thanks, Ming, for your, your time. I'd love to introduce um, Steve and Anna. Um, so, round of applause for these guys. <laughs> first time at Uni Church. Is that right? For, for you? Yeah, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> That's great. Steve um, loved us before by driving the van, and he uh, loves us. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steve and Anna, tell us a little bit about your work background and what, what you've um, done there, and then how you've come to know Jesus. Actually, tell us that first. How have you come to know Jesus? Uh, okay, try and be quick. Um, so, um, Anna, Anna and I lived overseas for about 20 years, um, and uh, part of that was in Sydney. Uh, we weren't Christians. Uh, our second daughter, uh, we wanted to have her baptised, because that's what our families did. Uh, so we went to the local Anglican church, and uh, they asked us to go through the baptism uh, preparation program that they ran. We thought that was fine. We'd made it through that before with one of our with our elder daughter, so we were, weren't too worried about that. Um, uh, but um, through that process, actually, uh, we were simply confronted with the gospel in a very simple uh, and non-confrontational way. Um, and uh, came to realise over the course of four or five Monday nights with a member of the ministry team there that actually the gospel was true, uh, which was a bit of a shock at 39. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then from there it was really, uh, my goodness, what, what do we do now? What does this mean for our lives? We had to reassess basically everything that we did uh, and think, well, is that still appropriate? Uh, and and you know, work was part of that. Uh, for you, I'd love to hear a bit of your work background. We've heard Ming's at Farmers. I'm kind of a little bit sorry I've heard about that now. Um, tell us, where have you guys come from in the work? Anna, you've been a mum as well. So tell us about that. Yeah, so we've got two kids. They're 16 and 11. And um, I had a background in institutional investment banking and then took 10 years out of corporate life uh, raising my children, which was amazing. And it was in that period that um, we were discipled, as Steve just described. So it was pretty interesting coming from this sort of corporate background. It was quite intense, com- competitive, very worldly values, and then being thrust into a Christian community. Um, more recently, I've actually gone back into corporate life having, when we returned to New Zealand three years ago. And, uh, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's pretty confronting, I've got to say. Um, and you, it really does draw on... Um, uh, you're, you really, really, really have to work on your relationship with God to keep everything sort of in focus um, and orientate your, um, your work life and making sure that your family life, your family's cared for and that you're doing the right thing by your employer. But most importantly is making sure that you are, in God's word, you are praying, you are seeking his guidance, you are... Um, you know, reflecting the fact that you have been freed um, through um, Christ's work at the cross, essentially, to serve. Uh, I'm a lawyer, and that normally ends the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, A first question, Ming, is for you. Uh, How would you define work? Oh, okay. Uh, Work is um, uh, anything that you do that is about loving others or loving the creation and managing it, um, stewarding it, caring for it, yeah, or producing things, yeah. Particularly, do you think there's a difference between people who are paid to do work and people who aren't paid to do work? Uh, uh, It really depends, but no. I tried to make that clear when I said, like, sometimes... Um, a hobby for someone else might be work to someone else. Um, I don't think it necessarily takes away from the fact that the person who's working f- uh, doesn't work is not doing work. Someone might see that as a hobby, but it's someone else's job. Um, I don't want to take away from the person who's working that is that that's work. I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think how much Adam and Eve got paid 
in, in the garden. Uh, so there's a picture there as well. Although, uh, so working is that picture of, of uh, in God's world doing his stuff. And we, we've got a, a secular view of work as well uh, that's there. Well, let me ask you a question then. Um, what is the difference between a Christian's work and the rest of the world's work? Um, so the Christian, for one, uh, recognises um, what work is, re- uh, as in the way God intended to make work, so they conduct themselves fairly differently at work um, by default. Um, but uh, even us, wait, can you ask the last part of the question again? What's the difference between a Christian's work and the rest of the world's work? Um, and, so, and often the, peop- the Christian is able to work from that perspective and therefore are laboring quite... Um, with an eternal perspective in mind, that they know that they're not just solving immediate problems, but they're working towards eternity. Um, so that means that challenges how they conduct themselves and also how they engage with um, their fellow co-workers. Whereas a secular worker, I don't want to be any negative to them. There are sure many lovely work co-workers that I have, and I love them heaps. Um, but at the end of the day, there's, just, um, there's a short-sightedness to it. Um, they're working for a lot more material things, um, which at a time wouldn't have been bad from the original creation ethic, but um, no longer are we in a world that is eternal. Yep. Yeah, there's a sense, I think you hopefully were pointing out with Ecclesiastes as well, um, that our work doesn't last unless there's a solution to death. Uh, and so thinking through, you know, who are my great-great-great-great-grandparents? <laughs> Except for uh, that one guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure if you keep going back, they'll, they'll be out. Um, yeah, and so how do I see what I, how does what I do actually make an impact? Um, what can only happen if death is dealt with, uh, which is a helpful perspective change. Uh, maybe, Steve, for you, I know, um, well, for both you, you and Anna, you've both been in the workplace uh, as non-Christians and then really become convinced Jesus is the Lord and Saviour. How did that change the way you thought about work? Yeah, that was um, a pretty confronting one because I think I talked about re- sort of reassessing every aspect of our lives and work was a really key part of that. I mean, I was working as a finance lawyer at the time and honestly, you know, what good is that to God or anybody? Um, <laughs> and so I, I really did struggle um, with what I was doing and whether it was something that I ought to be doing. Um, and that took place over quite a long period of time, months certainly, um, but, you know, reading the Bible, talking with wiser heads than mine uh, and realising that, um, yeah, to the point that, Ming, you made in, in the sermon, that um, it's not about, you know, it's sort of stop wondering why am I here and start asking, well, since I am here, uh, what does God want me to be doing? Um, and through that I really realised that, um, you know, God had, my life has rolled out in a particular way under God for a particular purpose uh, so who am I to question where I am or what job I'm doing, um, but rather right here, right now, um, what does God want me to be doing? Uh, and that was an incredibly freeing uh, realisation um, and, and one which I try and remind myself of daily. Uh, for you at that point, you really thought through, should I give up law together and think through Christian ministry? Uh, you didn't do that. Why is that? Yeah, um, and I had a lot of people saying to me, look, you know, you're doing a lot of study, you're talking in a very faithful way, you know, you, you, when are you going to go into ministry? Um, and I guess a couple of things. One is the ultimate realisation as well that, well, we're all in ministry, um, but we're not all suited to full-time ministry. Um, and I really had to wrestle with, you know, a- am I particularly suited to be the leader of a church, a minister in a church, and I ultimately decided again with advice from wiser people than me that actually, no, I probably wouldn't be very good at that. Um, and, but it was great to go through that process and think that through and make a deliberate decision, no, actually that isn't for me. Okay, thanks. I want, there's a couple of questions here, kind of, I've grouped them together in the, the goodness of work section. Um, so, um, Ming, this question for you, what do you think about a career in advertising or something similar like graphic design. Advertising feels shady to me. There you go. Thank you. Usually is. You're right. Uh, but there must be some love in there somewhere. So the question is, how can we bring glory to God in creative jobs, like art or music or advertising, when there's sometimes mixed in um, kind of different shadinesses? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there are elements where advertising is really good, where you're promoting and communicating great things. 
But I recognize there's probably the other half that you might be referring to is when you're promoting and communicating things that are either against your views or um, against what is, what is good for the person, um, actually good for the person. And I think um, in that case, uh, it is good to express your concerns here um, to your boss, um, but you still are working for a boss and so you want to love your boss well in that instance. So you do want to be wise in how you conduct yourself there. Um, so I think in that instance, you are loving your coworkers and your boss, um, but you might not be loving society. So, hmm. I haven't actually thought about it in that instance that far out. Uh, Steve, and any wisdom there where you've been in a situation where you've worked out as a Christian now, uh, the ultimate end of the organization you're working for is not for the good of society, and how you deal with that? Any wisdom for us? I don't know whether I've got any wisdom, but certainly um, I work for a large financial institution and our parent company has just been through the Royal Commission in Australia and I think every single financial institution that's been subjected to that inquiry um, not only welcomed it but recognised that everyone had done something wrong. So then it really made me think, well, what am I doing in this <laughs> What am I doing in this industry? And where uh, are things going, you know, perhaps counterculturally to that, and um, I was most fortunate to um, talk to the person that actually testified at this Royal Commission, and um, she sort of took the attitude, sorry, this, I'm trying to make this short, <laughs> she basically um, allowed me to think about how this organisation started to then institute some values, even though it's secular, that actually were pretty good, and a purpose that's actually pretty decent, and would align with, you know, a gospel worldview, um, to the point there's even leadership values that one of them is to grow others selflessly. So either there's been an, an amazingly courageous Christian at the heart of HR and our organisation doing some pretty amazing work, well, you know, it's God's plan that, um, you know, his, if you put on your gospel goggles, basically, um, this isn't too far away from it. So as a Christian in an organisation like that, um, I think it's my job to gently um, point people to those values when they're off track and try and um, the harder part for me is to try and live those values as well and to give you an indication of what they are just very quickly there are things like integrity collaboration accountability respect and excellence so they don't seem that bad um, but you know we're all sinful and we <laughs> we live in a, a you know working organization with with sinners basically so you know how can we how can we do that a bit better um, what do you do in the situation where you're in a workplace and you're called to or asked to do something that you feel contradicts God's kind of um, plan or, um, or it just maybe even contradicts the law? Any wisdom, either three of you on that? Yeah, so, um, the, the book I recommended has a, actually a big section on this, um, but basically the conclusion of it was that uh, you can't participate in it. Like you've got to hire a boss there and you've just got to say no. Um, and it's going to be really hard. It might even get you fired, I suspect, in some cases. Um, but that's the cost. Uh, you're going to count the cost when it comes to following Jesus. And it really is worth it. Um, that was the conclusion from the book. I actually agree with that view. Um, but obviously, we do want to be um, tactful and wise in how we conduct us, um, how we think through things like that. Um, is this really unethical or illegal? Um, but there is going to be a line that you're going to have to draw. Yep. Um, I have an all-female staff. Um, and one of them asked that we as a company adopt the Law Society's new Gender Equality Charter. Uh, so I agreed to have a look at it. It's just a one-page document. Um, it begins with a statement that, the, that New Zealand lawyers embrace uh, the diversity and inclusion agenda uh, without defining what that was. Um, the rest of the charter which dealt with gender equality issues was actually um, fine, um, but I had to explain to my senior team that I couldn't personally sign up to this charter because I believe that the broader diversity and inclusion agenda includes things that I uh, cannot accept because of my faith, uh, things like gender fluidity. Um, and so, yeah, quite an interesting uh, <laughs> I'd actually been praying to God that as the boss I could actually get opportunities to share the gospel with my uh, staff. Uh, obviously it's something you have to be pretty careful about and so God said, well there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, pretty confronting but uh, yeah, a wonderful opportunity when you view it that way. And so in that situation you didn't sign that and that kind of 
There were moments there where you were like, I don't know how this is going to play out for the rest of the team. What was that like actually being in the midst of it going, I'm trusting you, God, but I don't know. Well, yeah, take us through that. Yeah, so they were shocked and horrified that um, somebody, you know, somebody who appears otherwise reasonable and rational could hold such a ridiculous view. Um, and they've now got that, you know, I guess, guess cognitive dissonance uh, about me. Um, but I'm one of three shareholders in the business, and so um, the other two shareholders uh, were very understanding about it, but we agreed that we would vote. Uh, I would be outvoted and, and that we would adopt the charter as a company. But I had stood up for my faith and explained why I couldn't accept it personally. Uh, but then the ordinary machinery of the constitution of the company meant that we did adopt the charter. So I guess there's points where as Christians work is going to be tricky uh, in a world that doesn't hold the same values as that. Um, I want to come now and focus a little bit on um, the view between uh, Christian work versus secular work. Um, so, Ming, question for you. Should you prioritize um, your secular work over Christian activities that you do in the week? Or should Christian activities get priority over our secular work? Mm-hmm. And remember who your boss is. <laughs> Jesus, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so, it's, it's, um, I'd say that, again, the challenge for us was to figure out how we can do both. I think Christian activity should be all that we do. Um, but there's absolutely times where you're going to have your mind primarily focused on your secular work, which is absolutely fine. I say it can be fairly hard to weigh up which one is going to be more effective use of time because if you start focusing on secular work, you're not only earning money that could go towards kingdom work, you're also spending time and building relationships in your workplace, and you don't know how God's going to use you through that. Um, so, but at the same time, if you spend a lot of time on Christian work, you also God could choose to use you re- like really effectively through that and building those relationships, and sometimes you don't see the immediate fruit of Christian work either. So it's very hard to measure. Um, so the real challenge is that um, you do want to see your secular work as Christian work as well. Um, and I guess what you're trying to say is, like, should I spend more time, I don't know, with my connect group or serving at church? Um, I think it's always good to keep stretching yourself to increase your capacity, um, but not to overload yourself immediately in one go, like, oh, I'm going to do Christian work now. Just, just keep adding on slowly. And I think um, by God's grace and ask for this, that it becomes more of like a, a restful activity for you. Um, to serve at church, um, read the Bible, um, and do Christian things. Yeah. Um, a question here then. Um, what about for those of us who see, so we're in a secular job, um, but uh, sharing our faith at work isn't allowed, or we, we're, so we might be in a certain a code within our code of practice, maybe you might be playing rugby union, um, and, and you're not allowed to say what you believe, should you continue in that role or not? Love to hear thoughts, um, Ming, and then you guys. Yeah, um, I guess my setup angle to that would have been I wouldn't necessarily quit my job. Um, there's definitely ways you can um, share the gospel. One of the most common ways I actually share the gospel with my longtime friends, because it's a little hard to be up front now since I've already been up front, um, is to come in at like just life wisdom stuff um, and why I'm conducting myself in terms of like life wisdom stuff. And that's just me giving them my wisdom, which is ultimately God's wisdom. Um, so, wisdoms are really unique way I tend to do that with old friends. Um, and also, um, building the relationship with your workmates, it doesn't mean that you only see them at work. Um, you could also um, invite them along to um, outside work things like explaining Christianity or to church. That's a good angle as well. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't quit my job necessarily unless there's generally some issues there that you're thinking through. Anything to add? It's good. See, he gets paid by the hour. Minute. <laughs> Maybe we've got to... No, it's all right. Uh, a question here about then success. Uh, Ming, um, so you saying it doesn't... Does it matter if I don't succeed in my career? Does it matter if I don't succeed in my career? Um, it, it does matter, but if, it, if you end up not succeeding, then that's also okay, um, because I think there's something that um, we are looking forward to that's even bigger, which is Jesus Christ's return. Um, but I think we should be aiming to succeed and do well. Um, if we're not, then I think that's not glorifying to God. Um, we want to do our best because that's loving. Um, that's what we're trying to do. We want to reflect God's character in the way that he's made us, the gifts that he's given us. Um, so he, he's, the Bible's pretty harsh on slacking off and being idle. Um, do, do your best. Um, try to succeed. Um, so I think it does matter in that sense. But if, it doesn't end up, if you don't end up succeeding, it's not the end of the world. It's kind of what I'm trying to say. And a question for you on this then. Um, 
person's put here, I want to be a successful businesswoman, but my mum always tells me it's futile. Um, uh, I'm sorry, why? <laughs> <laughs> You've juggled both of those in business and as a mum. How have you thought through that? Yeah. Wow, that's a really big question. Um, I think the first thing I'd say is it's it's incredibly difficult and I'm not an example at all to follow. <laughs> I've made a, a billion mistakes and relied very, very heavily on God's grace. Um, I think the thing to really get really straight is um, the fact that we, uh, as Christians, we are freed from the, if you like, the... the the, um, the need to conform to the ways of the world. So being successful is, means a different thing to us that, as Christians than it does to uh, non-believers. So we work to glorify God, um, not ourselves. Uh, so that would be the first thing you'd want to think about is, is that really what you, you're thinking about in terms of success? And the second thing is that we actually need Christians in every single walk of life. So, yeah, even bankers and VCs, there are Christians who are VCs. In fact, this, we're talking to them. So, What's a VC? A venture capitalist for, the, for those that are wanting to start a business, be an entrepreneur. So, um, yeah, just being very, very careful about um, uh, the, the, the steps that you take. Business is different, I think, from other types of work in the sense it can be quite transactional. But um, certainly in, in um, the best outcomes that I've seen in business have been relationship-driven. So, you know, do everything, um, you know, to your best abilities to glor- and to glorify God. And then balancing that with a, with a role of a mum. Like, how, yeah, how do oh, I yeah. think through okay. that? I thought I was going to get away without answering that. <laughs> okay, I have two amazing children and an amazing husband, and um, they are profoundly, profoundly important, and um, work should never overtake uh, that amazing, um, the amazing relationships we have. The sad reality is, as a simple human, it does. And um, again, it's what am I doing to ensure that I'm, I am caring for my family and that I am um, built, working on my relationship with God? Am I in his word? Am I praying to him? Um, you know, how am I pointing my children to Jesus? Um, how am I, I supporting my husband and his, his um, life and work and how we parent our children? But ultimately, um, you know, work has to fall away um, when you know, your family's in need. So am I creating a work life that is flexible enough to accommodate, um, you know, both my obligations to God and to my family. So that's another thing to think about, just choice. Um, yeah, I'd, uh, yeah, I would not help myself up as an example. <laughs> but, uh, um, uh, last question then. So, so here people are thinking through what sort of job should I take? Where should I spend my time? What should I study? Should I study? Should I quit? Let me quit, please. You know, there's a whole heap of things going on for people. How do you decide um, what to do with your life? We'll start with you, Ming. Oh man, this is a do what to do with life. Um, <laughs> Just a short one to end with. Um, I think as as Christians, we're all called to seriously consider full time ministry. If I think everyone should consider that in some way and measure that up with, where they're at. Um, I think that it's really helpful um, and loving, uh, no matter what season of your of life you're in, is to to go through the usual seasons such as study. So I do think you should finish a degree and and work for a bit. Because that means you'll be able to better relate to people, empathize with people. It's a really helpful way to serve others. Um, in terms of what to do with my life, um, I definitely think consider um, the way God has made you, the gifts that you have, the things you like doing. Um, if you enjoy it, the reason why the world always often uses the find the thing that you love um, is because you generally have a bigger capacity to, to work in that. Um, and that's a good sign that maybe you should be heading in the direction that God has made you that way. Um, so often people who actually enter into full-time ministry have a fairly large capacity to do full-time ministry. And the same can reflect into the workplace as well. So that's kind of where that kind of world advice comes in about finding what you love. Um, but yeah, I think that's... Uh, just consider how, how the areas of gifts that you have and um, that's a helpful way to place a start. Do you want to add anything? Be great. Yeah, look, I think it, it's a confusing world, isn't it? Because there's so much choice. You know, there's so many things we could do and that can be quite bewildering. 
Um, but yeah, I think as Ming says, you know, thinking about you know what you are gifted at, and also who are the people that God's placed around you. You know, God is in control here, and um, pay attention to the small things. Uh, it's so funny that you know, how often you'll bump into somebody for some ridiculous reason, and I think it's uh, God. God will speak to you. <laughs> Um, and um, you know, read his word, pray to him, ask him for guidance, um, and whatever you end up doing, just do it to the glory of God, and don't worry about what it is too much. Obviously, you know, there are certain things you shouldn't be doing, <laughs> but um, yeah, just get stuck into it um, and enjoy it, and and do it for the glory of God, and um, it, it'll it'll be great.